what do you think are some qualities somebody should have to climb that corporate ladder? Thinking about your career path two steps ahead is also very important. Don't just think about your next step, your immediate next step, but think about two steps at least and map your timeline accordingly and voice that. Share what your ambition is. Share what you want to do for the organization. And actually, people really appreciate ambitious employees. They'll want to find a way, if the opportunity comes up, to think of them first and to help、mm-hmm. them. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bougie Best Room Podcast. I'm your host, Coco, aka Cornelia Slunsky, and welcome to the Bougie Best community. If you didn't join our group yet, I'm going to put a link in the show notes so you can join our free group that connects high standard ladies all over the world. Okay, in today's episode, I had the pleasure, and it's free, by the way, the group. We're never going to charge anything. I know a lot of people charge things, but we won't because we want you to connect on a real level. Okay, in today's episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with the co founder of Glow Recipe. Glow Recipe is a fruit forward, clean skincare line that I'm personally obsessed. I'm sure you guys see me sharing on my Instagram all the time. And I had the pleasure of sitting down with their co founder, Sarah Lee. Sarah started her career in L'Oreal, which kind of Paved her way into this entrepreneurial journey that today she created a mega successful brand that's selling at Sephora. They were also featured on Shark Tank. I'm so impressed by Sarah and I'm so grateful she came on the podcast. She is a super successful entrepreneur. So I think this conversation is going to inspire many of you who are looking to dive into similar stories or just get inspired. About life overall. <laughs> As mentioned, Sarah started her career in L'Oreal. So we talked about climbing that corporate ladder, how to ace. Public speaking, how to get your point across, how to stand out, and how to raise money from investors, and much, much more. I love this episode because, first off, I'm such a fan of the brand and they are selling internationally. They're like on the forefront of Sephora, and I'm just so impressed with everything they built. And I hope you're going to be. Equally inspired with her story. Before we get into the episode, you guys know I like to read your reviews. At this point, I'm lost with which reviews I read, which ones I didn't, because I should have like kept track of this. But anyway, today I'm gonna read this one from Arlie K. Meet your new podcast BFF. This podcast is it.、Mm-hmm. Every episode is like hanging out with your smartest, coolest friend. Coco chooses the most fantastic guests for empowering conversations and leveling up your life. It's a game changer. Really grateful for this resource. And honestly, I, even till this day, I'm so grateful to be able to sit down with people who created such successful businesses. And I get so inspired with their stories, and I hope they're going to inspire you as well. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a five star rating. And review. Don't forget to subscribe. We are on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. We're everywhere. So you can find us very easily. Okay, let's dive right in and hear all about Sarah's journey. Sarah, welcome to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Your lip balms with that watermelon. What was the name of it? Lip well, pop? It's called Watermelon Lip Pop. Lip pop. Yeah, it's a cool favorite. Yeah. I'm popping it every day, so、oh, <laughs> absolutely love, love that.、It. You are the co-founder and the co-CEO of Glow Recipe, a brand we all love. Yeah. Let's start with the very basics. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Give me a little background. I was born and raised in Seoul, Korea. My parents and my brother actually still live in Seoul. That is my heritage. My family actually moved to Hong Kong when I was fourth grade or fifth grade, and there. 
We lived for about five to six years, our whole family. My dad was an expat and he had business there in Hong Kong. And Hong Kong is sort of like New York. It was the Asian hub for everything. So it was a true melting pot. And it was such an eye-opening experience. I had attended an international school and all my friends, my new friends were very diverse um, from all around the world. And from then, I think from a very young age, I started to really dream about having a global job somewhere where I can you know, travel around the world, meet different people from different cultures. And I just really found joy in that. So we lived there for five years. Our family went back to Seoul. And then I attended university in Korea. It was an all-women's university. It's called Ihua, and it's sort of like Wellesley in the U.S., if you were to compare. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I got my first internship slash full-time job at L'Oreal in Korea. And that's where I really, truly found my passion for what I did and what I do still today, which is building a brand and beauty. Prior to that, I was a skincare fanatic. I mean, I <laughs> grew up doing skincare from, I don't remember when, like five or six years old when my mom and I used to do DIY and she used to slice cucumbers, place them on my face. And I used to ask her, what is this lunch on my face? What are we doing? <laughs> she used to explain to me that this is going to brighten your skin tone and texture. With my grandmother and my mother, I used to go to public bathhouses in Korea every other weekend. And it was a family ritual that I always looked forward to. And that's when my mother used to splash spoiled milk on my body and her body. I didn't know what was going on because I knew it was spoiled and it was milk. But then later, of course, I learned that milk has lactic acid, which helps to brighten the skin as well. So there's always a good reason why we were doing all of these DIYs. But, you know, again, because of that and because of all these mother and daughter moments and the cultural aspects of, you know, the importance of skincare that is so ingrained in the Korean culture. I grew up with, you know, so much passion and love for mm -hmm. skin, especially. And then when I started working at L'Oreal after college, you know, of course, I saw the other side. It's not just bells and whistles. It's, you know, there's a lot of spreadsheets and boxes and packing and shipping and manual work that's necessary, especially if you're just starting out your beauty career. But I loved marketing. I loved product development. And I worked in Korea for about three and a half years until they sent me to the New York office. I dreamed of working in a global capacity. And, mm -hmm. and I also did make it clear when I started working mm -hmm. at L'Oreal in the Korea office that one day, I would love to work at another New York office or another office within L'Oreal, whether it's New York or Paris or different parts of the world. And they knew that. And I worked my ass off, excuse my language, <laughs> and they sent me to New York in 2008. I was a very first Korean expat that was wow. transported to the New York office. And it was a dream come true, truly a life-changing opportunity for me from a career, but also just in general life. How old were you back then, just for context? Yeah, I was 26. You know, I think for me, the lesson here is that you have to make it clear, no matter where you are, of what you want. It's not going to mm -hmm. happen overnight. But as long as you communicate and manifest and you tell people that support you, that you have this goal and this is what you want, there will be someone, someone out there that can help you get there. And that happened to me. 
Wow, I absolutely love this. And as you were saying how you and your mom were doing all these skincare rituals, I remember when I first fell in love with beauty is also with my mom and she... I remember her eyelash curler. I was like, what is that? It seemed like quantum physics at that point, but now (laughs) I absolutely know what a a lash curler is. When I started kind of growing up and getting into skincare, everybody was always talking about K-beauty, K-beauty. Is that something that inspired you with your brand today? You know, it's interesting. It's definitely part of the inspiration because at the end of the day, you know, what my upbringing every day inspires me to do whatever I do, right? And, you know, right now, the brand that you see in the walls of Sephora or on social media, Glow Recipe, is not K-beauty, but it is founded by two Korean-American female, you know, CEOs. And we have both a mutual background um, of, you know, Mm -hmm. growing up in Korea. So, you know, whether it's the philosophy to skincare, which is very holistic, actually. The way I see skin is not, you know, a cookie cutter approach. Do you remember the days, you know, you would walk into Sephora or any other retailer store and the beauty advisor would come to you and say, what's your skin type? And -hmm. you say, oh, I have dry skin. Then they'll sort of like have this formulaic approach to what steps and what products you should use according to that. Our belief and our philosophy is that your skin can really vary depending on your lifestyle, depending on your stress level, depending on your... Absolutely, depending on your stress level. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And your sleep habits, you know, there's so many variables that can affect how your body and your skin as part of your body can feel. So just like when you feel extra tired from all the travel or... Just like when you feel a little bit more dehydrated, you give what it needs, right? You feed mm-hmm. you know, supplements or you drink more water, you sleep more. That's our approach to skincare. Your skin, no one day is the same and no one person has the same skin type. Just like you have a darker shade for your foundation during the summer. And mm-hmm. then you go a little bit lighter tone in the winter. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, your skin changes your tone and texture The way it takes products and formulas also is always different, mostly Mm -hmm. because of your mental state too, actually. Mm -hmm. And there's a saying in Korean that your skin reflects your mental condition. And I truly believe that. And so I think just listening really carefully to what your skin is asking you to give it, what it's really Mm -hmm. needing, and you just feed only what it needs and nothing else is our approach. Mm-hmm. Right. And so a lot of the products that you will see at Glow Recipe are not just, you know, targeting a specific type of skin. Mm-hmm. It covers a lot of the concerns that we all share, but then it's also pretty universal because we want it to be very inclusive. We want everyone and anyone, even with the most sensitive skin type, to enjoy the skincare experience because skincare mm-hmm. should be fun and sensorial and not too serious. That's also another philosophy that I've been inspired by the world of Korean skincare. Experience is as important as result. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I first came to the U.S., I realized that a lot of people were looking at skincare as a chore and something that was a little bit stressful, actually. I remember Mm -hmm. talking to some of my new friends that um, were in New York and They said that, you know, it's so stressful to cleanse my face after a long day. You know, I have to like really kind of schedule it. I heard that from somebody Um, (laughs) and I was really surprised by it because for me, skincare routine is when I let it out. Actually, it's like my self-care, truly Mm -hmm. self-care moment. 
And that's my me time. That's when I really enjoy just being alone, you know, in mm-hmm. my vanity or in front of my medicine cabinet with closed doors. And I just like really have this pampering moment. And I, that's why, I th- you know, I think the texture, the scent, mm-hmm. the application experience should mm-hmm. be enjoyable because everyone is busy or everyone is too tired or they're doing something that's, you know, more important than skincare. But if you just let those two minutes of your day as your escape almost, or a moment that you look forward to and that like puts a smile on your face, then that accomplishes the goal already, at least half of it. And then you wake up the next day with a little bit of an improvement and you Mm -hmm. keep doing that. And it's like working out, right? Like you just put a little bit of effort, you know, in a frequent cadence, you're going to see results. And it's so satisfying. I love this. Absolutely agree with uh, the closing the doors part because we are so busy throughout the whole day and we're talking to so many people and you constantly feel like you have to give, give, give. And then it's like, that's time for you. I want right. to go back to your days at L'Oreal in New York. How long were you working there and then you decided to build your own brand? So in the New York office, I was working for about eight years. And so mm-hmm. by the time I left, I was... AVP of a brand called L'Oreal Paris. It's a mass brand that's sold at Target, Walmart. Um, you know, it's 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 the name L'Oreal, L'Oreal mm-hmm, Paris. Mm-hmm. And um, I had the privilege of managing the hair care and styling category. And I was in charge of growing the category, developing the products for the U.S. market. And it was, I mean, it was a dream job, I have to say. I did marketing, product development, PR, e-com, trade marketing. I worked with retailers directly. I used to work at Longcomb, which is also part of L'Oreal. And at my Longcomb days, I worked with Sephora. So it's funny how everything sort of leads to what you do, right? There's always mm-hmm. a reason for you know mm-hmm. whatever happens along the way. And I believe truly that everything that I did at L'Oreal and everything that I learned, all the relationships that I was able to build, helped with my business today. I was about to ask, what do you think are some qualities somebody should have to climb that corporate ladder? Because a lot of women are, you know, in a position where they want to grow, but they just don't know either how to approach the situation. I love that you said in the very beginning that you sometimes just need to voice it. How did you climb that ladder? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, honestly, you know, it was by shadowing my mentors, which is step number one, because when you're first starting out your career in a corporate world, you don't know where to start. Obviously, you're going to do everything that your boss or your supervisor tells you to do. But I think quickly identifying who your mentor could be and who your role model in the organization could be, I think is a very good step to take for you to learn a little bit faster. So having someone that you look up to and you know is, you know, also perceived in the organization as a high performer it mm-hmm. is great because then you know, okay, she's or he is doing certain things the right way, which is what got this person to a certain level. Um, and I think that really helped me to navigate in the very beginning, um, pretty quickly, actually. Mm-hmm. I remember having this person that was a role model. She was an incredible presenter in meetings. And I was always walking out of these meetings feeling a little bit more inspired, a little bit better educated, a -hmm. little bit smarter, you know, because of the way she presented or because of the, just how she delivered the presentation. And so I definitely shadowed her when I was junior. 
asked her a lot of questions. I straight up told her I looked up to her and I um, wanted to learn from her. And she actually was very open minded, thankfully. But in my experience, too, I think that, you know, when somebody comes to me and says, I want to learn from you and I this is what I'm doing and I'm you know walking a similar path, I'm not going to say no. Do you know what I mean? Like, obviously, mm-hmm. it'd be hard to spare a ton of time for that. But I do want to help. I think people genuinely also appreciate it if somebody comes and actually, you know, asks questions and genuinely shows that they want to learn from you. I don't think anybody would normally say no to that. That's what I've learned. In the beginning, you feel like, oh, is she going to, you know, walk away? Mm -hmm. Is she going to say she's too busy for me? Um, You kind of go through that little bit of anxiety. Imposter (laughs) um, syndrome. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, I think we all go through that. But thankfully, she was so open-minded. So I learned a ton from her from a very young, like early stage of my corporate world. And then a few other things. Thinking about your career path two steps ahead is also very important and I and that's my advice to anyone that's in the corporate world right now. Don't just think about your next step, your immediate next step, but think about two steps at least and map your timeline accordingly and voice that. Tell mm-hmm. people again, whether it's your supervisor or your HR department or you know the general manager of your team who can actually make decisions whenever you have the opportunity share what your ambition is, share what you want to do for the organization. And actually people really appreciate ambitious employees, right? Mm -hmm. Because they want to do well in the company and for the company. And so if you see that, I think the general reaction is that they'll want to find a way if the opportunity comes up to think of them first and to help Mm -hmm. them. So voicing it, making it very concrete and clear in terms of what you want to achieve, where you want to be, I think it's very important to just, again, navigate the corporate complexity. Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, um, and I cannot emphasize this part enough, and this applies to me still today, is that networking is everything, even within corporate. You know, finding friends that you can talk to, it doesn't have to be your same team. You know, you never know what can happen from any conversation, right? And corporates are political. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of decisions are made based on relationships based on what people see from a surface level, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, that's Mm -hmm. sort of what happens. So what you do to connect and network, but also show on the outside is very important. And frankly, I have to say, I learned that the hard way because I came from a different culture. The U.S. culture, especially in the corporate world, is very different from that of Asia, where, Mm -hmm. um, you know, In Asia, if you speak up without substance and without a real reason and a real, you know, just an element that adds value to the company, it's not really encouraged, to be honest. Whereas here in the U.S., you're encouraged to speak up no matter what. Everyone has the right to an opinion here in America. Yeah. it's, It's a good and a bad thing at the same time. Yeah. There are pros and cons of both, right? And you just if you're here in this environment, it is important that everyone knows who you are, what you do, what your voice is, what your opinion is. You have to show it. You just have to speak up. And so I learned that the hard way because I just wasn't in that environment prior. And I mm-hmm. learned that that was what I needed to do in order to navigate this corporate world. And that was um, pretty game changing, I have to say. 
and then, you know, constantly just making new friends within the organization. You mentioned a few things when you were talking about your mentor. You said that she was speaking on these presentations and you were just so inspired every time you left. If somebody wants to improve the way they speak in front of an audience, public speaking, pretty much, sometimes people have, you know, a fear of public speaking. Is there something you can say or help them in a way to just kind of become better at it? This is my, how I sort of worked on it. Obviously, watching, observing, taking notes on what was more impactful versus others was helpful, like note to yourself type of thing. Mm -hmm. And then another thing is really sometimes you have to like actually write out every single word you want to convey. It can be a full script, actually. And it's okay. Um, The point is you don't want it to come across as a script, but Mm -hmm. you can have a script that has all of the keywords that you want people to catch attention to. You don't have to have long, you know, it, it can be short, concise, but you have to have the right keywords, the right buzzwords that people will gravitate towards. You have to have, um, you know, a differentiator as you, it depends on what you're presenting, but let's say you're presenting an idea, which happens a lot in the beauty marketing space. You have to really sell your concept You have to Mm -hmm. sell your innovation idea. You have to sell your marketing campaign idea to the rest of the internal team, right? And when you're doing that, it's important for you to almost outline um, exactly the key takeaways you want people to have from your presentation. And, you know, you could have all these set up and you could tell the rationale and the background, but ultimately what they need to take away is that this is different because of X, Y, Z, just two or three things. So focus on that. And I think you have to repeat, actually, and this is pretty strategic. You have to repeat some of the keywords, again, that you want them to take away from that presentation in the right places. And I had to do that. I actually wrote out my entire script, um, especially for meetings that had a huge audience. Like I had, I had to present in front of the entire sales team, which sometimes was, you know, like hundreds of people because these are, you know, field reps around the nation. And there were retailers ranging from Sephora to Macy's mm-hmm. to Ulta. I mean, there were, you know, pretty much all of the retailers or, or the mass market too. And I wanted to make sure that when they're listening to 20 different presentations, they at least remember five things from what I have to say. And I had to write it out, scripted, bold the keywords that I wanted them to really remember and practice and practice and practice. And that's what I did in the beginning. And as you keep doing that, then you'll really kind of get the hang of it. So you kind of focus on the result. So I want my listeners to experience X, Y, Z, and then you create yeah. a presentation and then you kind of assess, does your presentation, is is it going to, is the result going to be what you actually want it to be? Exactly. Is that right? Yeah. And if I I'm the that. audience, if I'm the audience, what am I going to take away from this presentation? I'm going to mm-hmm. be distracted. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be sleepy at 3 p.m. You know, I need my Starbucks. There's all these thoughts going on in the audience's <laughs> mind. So you just need a few things that they will really remember you and your presentation as. And you want to be associated with that presentation. You yourself want to be associated with that takeaway. And so to really kind of make it very clear that you came up with the idea and this is why. And this is mm-hmm. why it's compelling. I think it's really important. The other thing is to make it quite interactive. And so, you know, my tip also is that I never make it about me giving them a full on presentation by Sarah. Mm -hmm. It's about making them feel like they're part of 
the presentation one way or the other. So for example, if you're doing a pitch and you're convincing everyone in the sales team to buy into your marketing idea, I spoke with a few of my close you know, sales team members prior. This is just an example. I spoke with them prior and I said, hey, this is what I'm going to present and, you know, get them excited about the idea or what I'm about to present. And then I would say, would you be willing to be part of my presentation? Would you be willing to test this out before everybody else does and give a testimonial? Would you Mm -hmm. be able to try this on as a demo during my presentation? Can you come up on stage? Would you be able to, you know, speak about your like experience in the field and why this is a perfect product for your situation? You know, so I would get a few people from the audience, for example, and they'll mm-hmm. actually be sitting in the audience, but I would pull them and then have them support my idea in their own ways. Um, and I wow. think that is really attention grabbing, but also relatable because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, people relate to things and that's what they remember, right? Like, how does this apply to me? That's actually at the end of the day, the most important, right? And that is part of the takeaway. I wanted them to feel like this was a must have and an essential product Mm -hmm. that they need to go home and study and sell. And that's, you know, these are some of the tactics that I used. Wow. I, I, I was about to say, can you share like a, b- a bunch more of these tips? Because this <laughs> yeah. is amazing. You can actually implement this literally in your next meeting. You can talk to your friend who is going to be in the audience and just, yeah, no, this is amazing. So after you said eight years, you were in L'Oreal. Yeah, eight years. It was the best school. It was the best marketing school, I have to say. I learned so much. If I had to say, if I didn't have this opportunity to build my own business, I would have stayed. Because Mm -hmm. I actually loved my job, truly, truly loved it. It was quite intense. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was very intense. You know, I went home very late um, every single night, but I volunteered to do so. Nobody forced me to stay until 10 p.m. at night. Mm -hmm. You know, I think at that time, I just really was passionate about my job. But also, you know, a a marketer and a brand builder has a, a very broad spectrum of things, So you can either create more work or not. But if you Mm -hmm. create more work and it actually leads to an amazing outcome and a successful launch or, you know, huge sales, then that's what makes you a strong marketer. So I was constantly coming up with new ideas, which kept me at the office, but I loved my job so much. That day when you decided, okay, it's time for me to move on to something else. How was that for you? Tell me about that experience. You know... (laughs) I still think everything happens for a reason. It's so funny how it happened because it was so random. I always knew that I wanted to do something on my own someday, but I didn't have Mm -hmm. that concrete idea. You know, it had to be the right idea for me to step out of this amazing comfort zone that I was in, this cushiony dream job, you know, and I have a co-founder and she and I have similar backgrounds. She was also working at L'Oreal too. And so that's where you met? That's where we met in Korea, actually. Mm-hmm. We both ended up coming to New York. She came for a different reason, but then she also ended up working at the L'Oreal office in New York. Mm-hmm. So just what are the odds, right? Love that. And, <laughs> you know, we would catch up. You know, she would come over to my apartment. I was single back then. She was married. She would come over. We would grab a glass of wine, uh, sheet masks together, and we would talk about our favorite products. It's just, you know, what we did. Girl time. Like, as friends. Yeah, girl time. And it's all 
great creative ideas come from a glass of wine. Ours did too. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, essentially we were saying, oh my God, can you believe I'm working on hair and I'm actually inspired by technologies coming out of Korea? She was like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, me too. I'm actually, I'm creating a product that is leveraging the Korean technology as we speak. And we were like, isn't this so funny? We are the two Korean Americans in the New York office with the background of, you know, in the beauty world in both Korea and the U.S. We speak both languages fluently. We have friends and network in Korea. And it's funny that we're doing this for a global brand where we're, we're leveraging Korean technology. So why don't we just help out these brands in Korea that don't know, you know, how to go global and become that bridge? Wouldn't that be really cool? Like we could actually be that bridge. Mm-hmm. And we had this aha moment. When we were brainstorming on this, we were so excited and passionate about this opportunity. And it was so clear, crystal clear to us that this was the next big thing. Um, and you, you said it, Beauty was a really huge wave at that time. And this is 2014. And we said, you know, we, we love everything about the beauty world. We love specifically skincare so much. And actually, if Korean beauty is going to be a thing, we need to kind of step in Because we understand the American consumers, we understand the Korean beauty world, we could really do this properly versus, you know, seeing things on Amazon and eBay being sold for half the price and without a proper storytelling or branding. That's a shame. We kind of felt this Mm -hmm. urge, like the mission um, to help Mm -hmm. the Korean brands to do it properly. So that's how it started initially. This is very different from what you see today, once again, at the Sephora shelves. We initially started as an e-retailer. So think of it as a mini Sephora.com mm-hmm. um, that curated the best of Korean skincare products. And that's how we started in 2014. Wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah, that's it was so interesting. It was my past life at this point. But that's how it started. That's why we started almost 10 years ago. It's mm-hmm. so crazy how time flies. 2014 is when we started. And we actually both decided to quit our jobs. We didn't even hesitate because the opportunity was so clear and so exciting for us like we just were so like Mm -hmm. we were so I don't know giddy like it was hard to describe this feeling Um, but of course you know I told my parents and they thought I was crazy they did not Mm -hmm. understand the whole business model or even the fact that I needed to step outside of this comfort zone Mm -hmm. Um, I was not married so I had no insurance so you know practically speaking it was a gamble, right? It was a risk. Um, and, you know, Christine, who's my co-founder, she was married. And I think she had that. But at the same time, it was a huge risk for both of us um, in that sense. But we decided to pull our savings, co-found glorisby.com. Was actually so that, the, the name was the same before, the right? Same mm-hmm. And we pulled $25,000 each from our savings accounts, a total we have 50K to start mm-hmm. the business. It's not a lot, actually, to create mm-hmm. a company, but that's what we did. We, we so you said, started the company that you have today with 50K, right? Yeah, with 50K, no no investment, no capital raise, nothing. It was just our own money. And we focused on pulling inventory from uh, some of the vendors that we partnered with. So that's how it started. It actually did very well, thankfully, but we were, Mm -hmm. I mean, we weren't sleeping for the first few months. Like, I don't think I slept more than two hours a day. 
at most, but I never felt like I was too tired. I was so just, you're just so driven, fired up, so driven. And every day felt like a dream. You know, it was just really exciting. Um, a lot of vendors took a chance on us, even though we didn't have anything, we didn't even have a proper website in the beginning, but they saw our experience, our passion and all of the the pitch that we mm-hmm. uh, gave. And so initially we started with about nine vendor partners, nine brands, and uh, we created this very rough looking website, <laughs> but uh, we focused on brand awareness. And I don't know, Coco, if you relate to this, but I... Remember, you know, brand awareness is everything when you're so small, right? Mm -hmm. So we decided to reach out to 600 influencers and press and editors, 600. I mean, this is a lot. It's a lot. And when was that? How how long ago was that? This was 2014. As soon as we started, we said, okay, we have the brands, we have the products, but no one's buying these, of course, because no one knows Mm -hmm. who we are. So let's just stop everything and focus only on PR. So that's what we did. So for about 10 days, we customized and personalized every single email that we sent out to 600 people. We divided and conquered, mm-hmm. so each person did 300-ish. And the way we did it was we watched, let's say, like your videos. I would watch a ton of your videos. I would watch, you know, I would YouTube videos. I would look at their Instagram post. I would look at, you know, the articles that the editors wrote for the past three months That would give us a really good idea of what they like, what their skin type is, what their skin concerns are, what they're looking for. So based on what we read and watched, we customize our emails accordingly. Mm -hmm. So for example, I would say, Coco, I saw in your past videos that you have really dry skin and you're always looking for something that could really, you know, give you hydration, but you don't want anything that's too suffocating or too thick on your skin. I have Mm -hmm. the most perfect routine for you and here it is. And this is why it's going to work for you. And this is an example, but we Mm -hmm. had a full personalized approach for everyone. And because of that, we had a very high return rate or response rate. And uh, out of that uh, came a lot of good press articles and even social posts. And they were all organic from this pitch (laughs) that we gave. And um, because of that, we broke even in three months. Wow. I think that's how it really kind of started to kick off in a big way. You said so many things here, definitely need to touch on. You mentioned, you know, getting your name out there. And I feel like you can have the best product, but sometimes you just don't know how to get it out there because maybe you don't have experience in marketing. Maybe this is your first business. Do you have any advice for people who are starting something and they're super excited about it and they see the potential, but they don't know how to promote it, basically? You know, that's the question I get the most actually from my mentees and anyone that's, you know, excited to start their entrepreneurial journey, I would say, number one, you have to go with the time. I think that, you know, in 2014, press was, I mean, press is still important, but even more important back then. YouTube was a really big platform. It still is, but I think it was just such a big thing in beauty. It just started the beauty blogger vibes. Yeah, Yeah. even I tried doing that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not easy, actually. I have so much. Yeah, that's why I stopped. <laughs> for YouTubers. Yeah. It's a real commitment. Um, Even though I do post my podcasts on YouTube, so I have to say that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's, again, I admire yeah. YouTubers um, to great length. I, I think that's the two worlds that we identified. Instagram was picking up in a big way, but I think YouTube and press were like the prominent in, in mm-hmm. beauty. And so that's why we specifically went with those two platforms in a big way. 
focus our time and energy um, to reach out to people in those worlds. Today, if you ask me, it would be TikTok and Instagram, TikTok primarily too. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just, that platform can really move the needle. And so you have to go with the time, really identify the platform that could really, you know, work and has a large sort of conversation or buzz going that's relevant to your industry that you're going to be in. And then I think from there, Mm -hmm. personalization never goes away. I actually think that this is a timeless thing that Mm -hmm. everyone values and appreciates. The reality is we're all busy. We don't really have all the time in the world or in the day. And so if you find that someone is spending their time for you, Mm -hmm. you kind of gravitates towards that. I mean, I I appreciate that myself too. If somebody takes the time to write me, let's say a handwritten letter, or mm-hmm. if somebody takes the time to, you know, draft a very thoughtful email for me, I would I I'm very appreciative. I would take the time to respond. And so I think that approach, whether it's an email or whatever platform or format that you use, always works to a certain extent. So I think there's that. And then thirdly, I think you have to find the way you would stand out right? Like everyone, I mean, beauty, for example, is a very saturated market. You see new brands, new product launching every single day. I mean, we can't even count them at this point. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. And so how do you, how do you stand out? The, the way to stand out is not to scream or be loud. It's to have a true visual and core value um, differentiator. You really mm-hmm. need to, and also you have to stick with it. You know, I see a lot of brands, young brands that follow what's trending and what's most talked about and what's buzzy. Mm-hmm. And then you try to sort of like tap into that and then kind of forget the the core vision and the, you know, what you stood for in the beginning. That's when it gets a little tricky and people really don't know what you are all about. I think it's important to instill to whoever audience you're speaking to, whether it's your customers or your community on social or influencers or creators who you really are and it has to be very concise it has to be to the point you don't have to explain like it's like your two-second elevator pitch right but what is that and then you repeat it like i said about the presentation actually now i'm like mm-hmm. it's full circle you have to have the key takeaways <laughs> <laughs> people to remember it. Yeah. yeah it's really actually it comes it's funny that it's just I'm thinking out loud, but it's actually true. Yeah. You have to think about the takeaways that you want people to remember you as and then repeat it just constantly. Mm-hmm. We have to do that actually as a leader for the team too. What does your team member want to remember the company as? Repeat it. Just remind mm-hmm. them. Because people forget we're all busy with everything that's going on with their lives. You you would think, oh my God, am I saying this too much? Like I said this already, they might remember it and, you know, maybe it, this is overbearing. No, it's actually not. I can tell That's you how right I feel now. about my videos sometimes. I'm like, I said this so many times already. How many times can I talk about this? But then you exactly. always have, you know, repeat. Just repeat it. Again, it has to be concise and it has to sound very different. Don't say anything that's too generic 10 times, of mm-hmm. course, and that's going to be, yeah. you know, not memorable, but you know, the, the few words that you really think can embody and embrace and capture everything that you're trying to stand for. And this exercise actually should take a long time. It's not normal for you to do it in two seconds. You have to, mm-hmm. like, we finessed it for months, I have to say. But you just keep finessing, optimizing. You don't, you're not going to have it perfect in one go. But just say it. And then you keep improvising. People will have feedback. And then you just keep improving. 
um, and making it sound better and actually work better for what you truly do stand for. And I think that works too. I want to go back again to those days when you guys started the company. So you had the platform and you were selling other people's products. And then when did you decide to actually create your own formula? So we started the company in 2014. And then in 2015, we were on Shark Tank, which I know Coco, you're aware of. Mm -hmm. So we had an amazing trajectory with our e-com business. And I think by year one, we already reached our big business goal. Um, there were retailers coming to us, knocking on our door to help curate some of the products that we already had on our platform to launch on their platform, which was a huge opportunity for us, but also our vendor partners. So we were sort of doing the works um, for that, like essentially sort of like working as a brand agency slash distributor, if you will, where they're on our platform and we're curating them and we're doing you know the work to interpret them to, to be relatable in this market. But, um, you know, I think the retailers were really interested to do the same, you know, taking the storytelling and all of those aspects that we already sort of created to be on, on this larger platform. So we were really excited about this trajectory. Like it was mm -hmm. it was really exciting. And I think that because of that, we were starting to sort of have conversations with Sephora. I remember going on mystery shopping at Sephora. And I, mm -hmm. I used to do this a lot just as a hobby <laughs> where I would pretend that I'm just, you know, a customer, not a brand founder or not, you know, anyone in the beauty business, but just ask questions about yeah, what research. Yeah, doing my research, just, you know, understanding how people think and shop. So I was doing that and Sephora did this huge animation actually around K-Beauty. And I think this was 2016. Mm -hmm. And I went up to them and I said, do you guys really like these products that are on this table? Or like, how do you use them? Like, how can I use them? Where do I start? I was asking all these questions. And this was like a huge moment for me because the beauty advisor told me at that time that she's a busy mom and she doesn't have any time at night. And she just wants products to work without having to think or research too much. And she said that this is most of my customers, actually. Like, although a lot of people are skincare savvy, they still want products that are multitasking and work so hard for you. Essentially, I mean, I don't think these were the exact words that came out of her mouth, mm -hmm. but that was my takeaway. Okay, yeah. there needs to be multitaskers that are doing more than one thing, right? Because I think that is just the modern approach. We want more mm -hmm. out of one product. We want the efficiency. And we want um, products to work hard to make you look good, even though you're not lifting a finger. Mm -hmm. What is that? <laughs> I also looked around in the Sephora environment and we were just thinking, oh my God, like it's so funny how there are all these very serious, science-backed, heavy technology, clinical test-driven brands that are reliable, efficacious, amazing, but with very serious looking packaging. You're like, okay, I'm paying a lot of money and I... I'm still like intimidated by this. Am I actually going to enjoy using this product? You know, you kind of like pause. And then there's this other world of products that are colorful and whimsical and fun, but too gimmicky. They don't do and they anything. Don't yeah. have efficaciousness. Like they just don't deliver, or at least they're perceived as not serious, right? Like mm -hmm. they're just a little bit too fun, but not doing the core job that it should be doing. Mm -hmm. And so that was another aha moment too. After speaking with this beauty advisor at the Sephora store, I still remember it was me, uh, Herald Square. And then we did a 
kind of a tour around the store and we were like, oh my God, there are two worlds in Sephora or in the beauty space in skin. You walk around and you see so many brands, you're almost overwhelmed, but actually you can't easily categorize them into these two worlds. Mm-hmm. So that was an aha moment thinking, okay, what if these two worlds coexist? What if you don't have to compromise on anything? What if it's actually very efficacious, but approachable, fun, and sensorial? Because that's actually what I've learned to appreciate with my upbringing. That's mm-hmm. what I've learned. You know, experience is as important as the result. And, and let's make that happen. That was the inspiration. And that was the moment we decided to create our own brand, which is what you see, Flow Recipe Skincare. And so we decided to marry and combine the scientific aspects of clinically effective ingredients like hyaluronic acid or retinol or vitamin C. These are time-tested ingredients and proven to work really hard with fruit-forward ingredients like watermelon, like avocado, guava, that are very vitamin-rich and really good for the skin, but no one really talked about in a strong way as hero ingredients. They were usually sprinkled in the formulas, but not really starified, if you know what I mean. And, you know, not much education was done around the superpower of these fruits. So we decided to combine this juicy, fruity element that's actually good for you with the um, science-backed ingredients, make this super efficacious. Once again, that's sensorial. We focus on the texture of the formulas, the scent, um, Mm -hmm. which are all naturally derived. All of our products are completely natural. Yeah, they all smell delicious. And it's all inspired by natural, 100% real fruit. And Mm -hmm. we do actually use real fruit ingredients. So for example, the watermelon products that you see Mm -hmm. are inspired by the fact that, first of all, there was no watermelon product in the market. And that I thought was a little surprising, right? Because Mm -hmm. we all love watermelon, right? I don't think I've ever met someone that doesn't like watermelon (laughs) or at least have this like nostalgic memory of having watermelon with your family. As a child, every single summer. Right? It's a a summer, yeah, Yeah. it's a childhood memory. And I actually, my co-founder and I both grew up with our grandmothers rubbing watermelon rind on our heat rashes on our back and our arms growing Mm -hmm. up in Korea in hot summer months because we would just get these heat rashes and watermelon would miraculously heal the skin and we just had we grew up with that memory which is so special but then we did the research and found out that watermelon has a very high uh, concentration of water in it which is why it's so hydrating and cooling for the skin but it's also mineral and vitamin amino acid rich so we're like, let's talk about it. Let's actually sprinkle a, a big amount of watermelon mm-hmm. into the ingredient list and make a, a formula that can work hard for you, that can multitask and can give you, you know, versatile usage. So mm-hmm. um, I know you're familiar with the dew drops. I love them. I love this them so product, much. Which I cannot live a single day without. And it's, it's, it's a cold. I use favorite. it as my uh, primer sometimes just like to boost my glow. Yeah, it's a great primer. It's a great skin highlighter. It's a great serum. So you just heard like three different uses of this product. Mm -hmm. It's a a versatile product that can truly multitask for you, work hard for you, and you just need this one product. And so, but it also has niacinamide, which is really Mm -hmm. great for hyperpigmentation and dark spots and pores. So by having that over time, you're going to get better skin improvements 
and it'll really treat your hyperpigmentation in an effective way. And we have clinicals to support that. But ultimately, it's a beautiful texture and it makes you look great as well, even though mm-hmm. it's just skincare. And that wasn't typically, you know, what people were used to. Skincare mm-hmm. was this thing behind the medicine cabinet that was serious, a little bit of a chore, whereas mm-hmm. makeup was fun and visual and transformative. But we were thinking, why not marry some of the favorite aspects of both worlds and actually make skincare a true, enjoyable moment? I love how you remember exactly in which Sephora you were and talking to this <laughs> yeah. uh, sales associate. Like, And that's fascinating how sometimes people, like she said something to you that kind of gave you that aha moment. Wow. And maybe you would figure it out later on in your own, but it's just like people sometimes say specific things to us that changes our entire life. I'll give you an example what happened with me and my boyfriend. We both work from home and sometimes we are annoyed at each other that, you know, like yeah. I'm on a conference call, I'm this and that. Even now when we're recording a podcast, I'm like, be quiet now, I'm recording. <laughs> and one day he was in an Uber and he was talking to his Uber driver and he said something about like living with his girlfriend and working at the same time and something like that. And the Uber driver said, yo, that's my dream. Imagine being with the person you love every single day and building your businesses. How fun and exciting that is. And every time we get into any type of like little, you know, disagreement, we're like, remember the Uber driver? Remember the Uber driver? Like oh, it's I love something that. so special, right? Yeah. It's all about the perspective. You know, if you think about it, it's really, it comes down to that. I just have a few more business questions because yeah. I need to know. So you said you started with $50,000. In the business world, people talk very openly about finances and stuff like that, but people don't really understand how much money takes to build a business. So you said you started mm-hmm. with 50K, then you started doing the PR pitching, and then you guys kind of evened out. Tell me about building your yeah. business. Did you take any outside money? Did you take investors? We did, but we did it very late in the game, actually, because... We were really looking for a strategic partner mm-hmm. because we were so cash flow positive from an early, early, early stage. Um, we just wanted to be able to do everything that we thought was the right move and not be dictated by anybody else. We wanted to, you know, try and explore different things. I mean, as you heard, we pivoted in a big way. We started mm-hmm. from an e-retailer business to now our own creation, our own innovation. And we are this brand, this global brand today. But had we not pivoted, I don't think we would be here or even near where we are today. So I think, you know, by experimenting, exploring, you know, being having that freedom to ourselves to try different things, listen to what our customers are saying, and just really leaning into what the, the buzz um, was all about whenever we you know, put out a product, what are people really liking about what we're doing and Mm -hmm. engaging with them? And I I just think that we had this amazing flexibility because we were able to do a lot of things with our own money. And the great thing is initially, you know, we were able to sell out of a ton of products because of all the press that we got after the 600 Mm -hmm. people outreach. And then um, I would say that that was our very first viral moment. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think that word was used at that time. <laughs> I think it was just, you know, everyone talked yeah. about it. All the media outlets picked up, you know, the initial article and everything sold out. And that's literally what happened to us in mm-hmm. month three. And I think because that happened and we because we didn't stop there and we actually tried to really maximize that momentum and reached out to everyone that spoke about us and really maintain an amazing relationship and actually friendship um, mm-hmm. from there. 
we were able to just continue to have momentum. And because of that, we constantly were able to be cash flow positive. What we also did was we didn't hire a huge team in the beginning. We were very scrappy, I will say. Mm -hmm. And we did a lot of things ourselves. Um, We had, of course, a few team members, but they were very junior and some of them were interns. So, you know, I packed boxes myself for a really long time. You know, I remember writing handwritten notes um, hundreds of them until my wrist was like numb. I remember those days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I remember also when we were featured on Shark Tank in 2015, that was another, I guess, viral moment where all of our products mm-hmm. were completely wiped. I mean, it was just, mm-hmm. it was also a wild experience. Everything was sold out and our warehouse could not keep up with the demand because at that time, our it's warehouse- a good problem was a, to have. <laughs> yeah, and it was a small warehouse. It was a startup warehouse. And you know we were trying to be, again, budget conscious, which is why we signed with them. But have we not, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they just weren't able to keep up. So what we decided to do was hire people off of Craigslist and <laughs> take the subway down. So I found to- my first roommate in New York. <laughs> oh, love that. <laughs> a lot of people actually, you know, Took advantage of it was it was a vibe at some point it was definitely a thing and so we went to brooklyn and we packed boxes you know myself included and our entire team and like all these extra support that we found on craigslist packed boxes for two weeks straight without doing anything else that's all we did Mm -hmm. so you can imagine because we were being so scrappy we weren't really spending much money on marketing we were really, our, mm-hmm. our, our focus in the beginning was very much about inventory because that's, you know, you have to have that and yeah. um, the shipping aspect. That's all we did. And we focus a lot on social media, our relationships, on, you know, PR. That was essentially our marketing. And of course, you know, all the storytelling that we did on our website um, combined with the outreach. And then, so I think that's why we were able to really have that um, PNL, healthy PNL, as we say. Um, mm-hmm. And then when we when we started to launch our our you know new creation because of all the the fuel that we were having from ecom we were able to sort of create this flywheel um, system where all the money that we made from ecom was being spent on the creation of the new innovations so we didn't have to raise at that point either and fun fact mm-hmm. after we were featured on Shark Tank we actually decided not to take money from the sharks so we were still bootstrapped. And nobody mm-hmm. had invested in us. That's just not what we were looking for until 2020. Um, at the end of 2020, early 2021 is when we closed with our first and last uh, private equity partner, North Castle Partners. And this is public information because we finally found the partner that truly understood mm-hmm. our vision, our point of difference um, with amazing people. We really, truly love working with them. And you know, when you have chemistry, you know it. Um, it's just like mm-hmm. finding a partner when you're dating people, right? And that was literally the analogy that we used when we partner with them. Okay, so now we're going to get serious and get married, right? Let's, you know, like that was <laughs> what we said yeah. after dating for a few months. And we enjoyed our dating experience. And so to this day, they've been an incredible partner um, and just a great sounding board. We would have very informal conversations with them over text or phone calls for a quick question or advice that we need. And they're always there. So it's been it's been really great. Mm-hmm. No, I love everything that you just said, because I feel like sometimes people, if they're starting a business and they have an investor and they get excited 
and they're just going to take anybody's money and they don't realize that you are actually, you know, this is pretty much like a marriage. You you are not going to get rid of them just, you know, easily. No. <laughs> You're going to have to be in touch with them all the time. If you guys don't have the same vision or if they are not supporting you in a way you want to be supported, it's going to be very difficult. So I'm very happy that you shared that because finding the right partner, finding the right investor or even a co-founder, it's such a such an important part. And I just have one final question. So you started a business with your friend, Christine. At the time, you guys were just friends and you had this amazing idea. How do you, first of all, find a co-founder and that you know they're going to be 100% in the same way that you are? And then also, how do you separate, actually divide responsibilities? So like, do you guys both work on the brand side or you do maybe somebody is more into, you know, structuring the team or leading the meetings and somebody's more PR focused? Can you tell me a little bit about the relationship between you two? Yeah, of course. And, you know, we get this question a lot as well. I think the advantage that we had is that we've known each other for a really long time. I mean, at this point, I've known Christine since 2004. So you could do the math, like it's just been mm -hmm. forever. And so I've known her and we were friends for a long time. So there was that relationship to begin with. But, you know, if you don't have that, I think it's important to find somebody that really, truly to the core shares the same vision as you. And, you know, this is cliche. Everyone talks about that. But, you know, you have to have a lot of conversations and think about like scenarios. We did that too, even though we were friends already. Like, what if this happens? What would you do? What if? And sometimes they can be very uncomfortable. Exactly. And we've talked about a lot of what if scenarios and, you know, it was great, pleasantly surprising to see that everything was very aligned. And I think that's when we just knew. And the other thing is, you know, a lot of people talk about finding a co-founder who has a very different skill set than you. Mm -hmm. We actually have pretty similar skill sets. We're two very different people with different personalities, but we have similar skill sets. You know, we, we were trained both by L'Oreal. Um, <laughs> we worked there for a long time, both of us. You know, we come from the Korean heritage. Like there are a lot of similarities that we have. Mm -hmm. And I will say actually in a big way for us, and I really believe that if you have such a similar approach or a thought process to things, because you were trained a certain way and you did, you know, your career was a certain way for a long time because you're just accustomed to doing things a certain way, right? By then, then you're actually going to be more easily aligned on a lot of things. I've seen a lot of partners where they have completely different skill sets. They um, don't always align on certain things because they just are wired differently, right? Even mm -hmm. though the skills can be complementary to each other, you have to still take the time to meet with your co-founder to educate them on exactly what you're doing and why and vice versa and that's a lot of time and work and energy and i have to say i don't have to do that at all with christine and vice versa we literally just read each other's minds and we go like there's not even a time where we need to like sit down and like hey like what did you like we know how we think mm -hmm. because we were taught the same way and i think that saves so much time and, be, and I, I really contribute, like one of the biggest drivers of our growth, our rapid growth that we were thankfully, gratefully able to experience is because of this partnership and because um, we're able to truly divide and conquer when we need to. Mm -hmm. We don't always do because I think two of us, if we align on something, that means it's a good idea, right? Like sometimes when you're alone and you're trying to make a decision and you're the only founder, 
you know, you can feel very lonely and you don't always know if this is the right direction or the right decision, which is why a lot of people have, you know, mentors from different companies and, you know, board members and all of these things. And I think those are very important, but nobody really understands your business as much as your co-founder, like you're in it together, the Mm -hmm. good and the bad, you're seeing it all the same time. So, you know, when she travels, Let's say she, you know, for example, she was just in Australia for um, this event that we did with Mika. I was in New York and I was still running the business, managing the team, business as usual, nothing paused. We're just going, going, going. There's nothing that stops the speed of our growth, vice versa. I'm going to Korea tomorrow for some, you know, business related matters. And I know she's going to be running the business here as business as usual. And we're going to be constantly in touch and making big decisions together on the phone or, you know, over email. But mm-hmm. um, there is that trust that, you know, if I'm not there, things are going to run smoothly still and vice mm-hmm. versa. So I think, you know, for those that are looking for co-founders, you don't have to find somebody that has the skill set that you don't have. I actually, you know, this is very different from so many other founders um, mm-hmm. quote, I can say. But it works for us, and I know that it has worked for some other companies. I know Harry's is one example. I think that you know they have a two like a duo CEO structure as well. As long as you're very transparent in your communication, as long as one person doesn't feel like they're doing more than the other. I was um, about to say, yeah. I mean, I have so many more questions. But let's say if you do have a conflict, let's say you have a situation that maybe you're unhappy with something she did or vice versa. How do you resolve it without creating yeah. any tension that can potentially ruin the business? You know, I think it's about being as honest and as transparent as it can be. It can be a little uncomfortable. I mean, that's normal, right? Because you're just seeing something that you know, it's not your usual, like fun, like, you know, smiling thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, but, in, you know, I, I think with any, anybody that you work with, you have to give real time feedback. Actually, I think this is another big thing that I would advise anyone, everyone, whether it's your team member or your boss or your partner, or your cross functional, you know, colleagues, if you find something that just remotely makes you uncomfortable, just you have to speak about it and they will actually appreciate it more in the long run. And right away, instead of like waiting and later bringing it up. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. not healthy for anybody right away. I mean, you don't have to be like, can you chat now? You know, obviously, (laughs) like as much as possible because then they'll really know exactly, you know, it's fresh from their minds too of that situation and their circumstance. And then it'll help them reflect a little bit more insightfully. And I think that, that's what we try to do. Um, you know, when there's a disagreement on certain things, I don't think there's ever been a case where we were like, okay, let's agree to disagree. We, we never had that conclusion, actually. We mm-hmm. always came out of the conversation completely, 100% aligned. And so, wow. but, you know, but that happens over time. You don't, you know, you don't build it. I mean, thankfully, again, we had this friendship, a very long time mm-hmm. friendship that we had. If you don't have that, you, you just need to be patient and constantly just communicate. How can I be better of a partner to you? Be proactive. Ask these questions. You don't have to wait, right? Mm-hmm. Just say, how can I be better? I felt this way at when I, whenever you said this, but I know I'm not perfect either, and I make a lot of mistakes. So you tell me real time also how I can be a better partner to you, and I will do everything I can to fix and you know be that person. 
just be like a little bit more, you know, proactive, come to that person first, you know, in your mind, you can be that bigger person. Essentially, it's just being a good partner. Um, mm-hmm. But be willing to have and like showing that you're so open to having conversations and you're open to being vulnerable to your partner, I think is key. Because when they know that, then they'll always feel more comfortable coming to you as well. So it, it just works mutually. And um, for us so far, it's been it's been great. Well, Sarah, thank you for this crash course of how to build <laughs> an amazing global brand. This was so, so valuable, informative. As you know, I'm a huge fan of the brand and I just love how, as you were saying, like it's it's a whole experience. It's not just like applying a cream on your face. It's like, it's the scent. It's like the bottle, the formula, everything is just adds to your skincare, self-care experience. So thank you again for being on the show. And can you please share where can everybody find you, your brand, where you guys sell? Tell me everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm a huge fan of you and your platform as well. I listen yeah. to your podcast and all of your episodes. <laughs> I also love um, What Would Coco Do or Ask Coco. Um, that's like my <laughs> obsession. So <laughs> thank you for spreading your wisdom, Coco. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> you can find Glow Recipe uh, social media platforms. We're on pretty much all of them. They're Glow Recipe, G-L-O-W-R-E-C-I-P-E. Um, we are very, very active on TikTok and Instagram. So if you DM us directly. And also me, um, I'm on Instagram at Sarah Underbar Glow. Uh, for any skincare or career related questions, um, I'm very happy to respond and, you know, have a conversation with you. So feel free to reach out. Amazing. Well, thank you everybody for listening and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye, Sarah. Hey.